loving God, may our worship be acceptable in your sight. Fill us with your truth and help us proclaim your justice in the world. Amen. Good morning, friends. My clergy group for this past year has been a pretty dreary gathering. Most months, we just talk about how we are surviving COVID-19 or not in our various parishes. But this past December, we had a fun discussion question. I guess it depends on your definition of fun. At any rate, the question was, which is your favorite gospel and why? It turns out that the world can be divided into two camps, those who love the gospel of Mark and those who love the gospel of John. Our little group was split almost evenly on this question. Poor Matthew and Luke, they didn't even get mentioned. And this makes sense, really. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are collectively called the synoptics. That is Greek for the gospels that see it together. These three Gospels share about 60% of the same material. Mark, however, is the original that Matthew and Luke were based upon. So if you are on the Synoptics team, it makes sense to pick Mark as your favorite. I mean, we all know that the original movie is always better than the remake, right? And then, well, then there's John. John just likes to go his own way. And there are certainly good reasons why people would fall into John's camp. For one thing, John is a great storyteller, despite the fact, or maybe because of the fact, that John was writing later than the other gospel writers. He's much more separated in time from the historical Jesus than Mark or Matthew or Luke were. John is able to imagine elaborate scenes filled with novelistic details and long pages of dialogue. Now, that's not to say that John's elaborations on the Jesus story are bad. Like us, the only way John could enter into a relationship with the historical Jesus is through his imagination. Uh, they lived at least a couple of generations apart, John and Jesus. And what's the difference between two generations and 60 generations? In a way, John's gospel is the first serious Christian theology. He offers a thoughtful interpretation of what Jesus' life meant. And we need theology. But for me, John's beautifully written scenes can feel like a veil of separation that obscure more than they reveal about Jesus. Take our gospel lesson today, for example, sometimes called the cleansing of the temple, or if you enjoy puns, Jesus's temple tantrum. This is one of the few stories about Jesus's life that actually appears in all four gospels, meaning that this is one of the few stories that John also borrows from Mark along with Matthew and Luke. But John has changed some crucial details in his version of the story while adding additional color that amps up the storytelling but blunts the point that Mark was trying to make. 
to be honest. I think that it's a failure of the lectionary that we heard John's version this morning instead of Mark's. I mean, for one thing, this is Mark's year. We are hearing Mark for most of this liturgical year, so why switch to John? And Mark has a real point that he is trying to make in this story. This is the key scene of Jesus's confrontation with the authorities in Jerusalem during Passover week. And this confrontation leads inexorably to what happens to Jesus later on that week, on Good Friday. So because understanding this is so crucial for what is to come, here is how the same scene plays out in Mark's gospel. Jesus and his disciples came to Jerusalem and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. So I want to point out two key differences between John's version and Mark's version. First, Jesus' accusation about the temple is very different. And second, the intended target of that accusation is also different. In John, Jesus complains to the people who are selling doves, stop making my father's house a marketplace. The accusation is that there should be no commercial activity in the temple. But in Mark, Jesus's audience is not just the dove sellers, but the whole crowd. And the accusation that Jesus makes is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So there's a big difference between a den of robbers and a marketplace. The audience in Mark is the whole crowd, but the people that Jesus is really targeting here are the chief priests and the scribes who sit at the top of the temple hierarchy. In fact, Jesus is answering a question posed centuries before by the prophet Jeremiah. Speaking in God's voice, Jeremiah warned that the temple was becoming corrupt. Jeremiah writes, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Jesus quotes Jeremiah and then answers his question, yes, in fact, Jesus says, God's house has become a den of robbers. And this accusation must have had some sting in it, because as soon as Jesus makes it, the chief priests and the scribes who he is accusing start looking for a way to kill him. You have made God's house a den of robbers. These are strong words for Jesus to throw at the temple hierarchy, but clearly they resonated with the common people. As Mark points out, the whole crowd was spellbound by Jesus' teaching. Some explanation is necessary to really understand what's going on here. Jesus planned this 
mission for the week of Passover because he knew that hundreds of thousands of faithful Jews would be pouring into the city for this most sacred observance of the Jewish calendar. Jesus wanted his confrontation with the authorities to have just this enlarged audience. He wanted to reach as many people as he could with his message about the corruption of the temple and his message about the coming kingdom of God. So in another failure of the lectionary, we have skipped ahead in the timeline to the middle of Passover week. This scene in the temple happens the day after Jesus has staged a different political demonstration at the gates of Jerusalem, what we sometimes call Jesus' triumphal entry, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday. More on that event in a few weeks when we get to Palm Sunday, but suffice us to say that the so-called triumphal entry was really anti-triumphal. It was a political demonstration against the imperial might of Rome. And the cleansing of the temple, which we read this morning, happens the next day, the day after Palm Sunday. And here is another political demonstration, but this time against the priests and the scribes of the temple. Jesus turns over the tables of the money changers and generally upsets the temple marketplace so that he can take over the temple courtyard and have a teach-in. It isn't so much that he's against the temple system of animal sacrifice. No, what he's actually against is the temple leadership, which at this point had been corrupted by 60 years of collaboration with Roman imperial overlords. The chief priests and the scribes that managed to survive and thrive under that Roman system of occupation had gotten fat, not just off the sale of sacrificial animals, but also over ruinous levels of taxation, taxation that was needed to pay the tribute to Rome, true, but also it was a nice way to pad their own income by skimming some off the top. And the Jewish aristocracy, who passed the office of chief priests back and forth between a few powerful families, had used debt and foreclosure to consolidate their land holdings while impoverishing the average Jewish citizen. This is the world that Jesus entered into in that Passover week when he walked into the temple. And this is the robbery that Jesus is talking about. Now, it was bad enough to have Rome breathing down your neck, but to be robbed by your own supposed leaders was galling. And for those leaders to then take refuge in the temple, well, it was sacrilegious and it was evil. The chief priests and the scribes have made the temple into a den, a safe house for robbers, where they believed that God would protect them from the consequences of their crime, if only their worship remained righteous and pure. This is the injustice that Jesus is trying to clear out of the temple with this demonstration. His accusations against the temple echo the prophets that came before him. The truth is that purity of worship is no substitute for justice in the world. In fact, worship without justice is repugnant to God. And ultimately, God will stand for it no longer. And here, friends, is where I think Jesus is calling us to pay attention today. What about 
our worship here in this beautiful temple. Now, I love these beautiful stained glass windows and the music that comes from our organ and our choir can transport me into God's presence like nothing else on earth. But friends, if this worship does not support a, a life of self-giving love and service for every person who comes through St. Luke's, well, then there's no point in it. We are here to be strengthened and fed so that we can go out of this place and work for God's justice in the world around us. Everything we do in here, grow and learn in faith together, support one another in community, sing praises to God, all of it is intended as bread for our journey, strength to share the love that we find in here with the hurting and the hungry who are out there. This temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, the place where God's justice is born on earth. And I pray through this Lent time that we will learn how to make it into that kind of temple. Amen.